I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. On the third day he rose again, he ascended into heaven, and he is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Wow. Can you believe that we are up to chapter 17 of Revelation, of John's Revelation? Holy macaroni Batman. I'm in chapter 17 of the book that used to scare the absolute willies out of me. Uh, I am very pleased with what's going on here, as far as me and Revelation anyway, John's Revelation. I'm not scared of it anymore. Uh, I've already told you I found, I've had my aha moment where I realized that the, the main message of Revelation to me is that we are at war and this is what the war looks like. He uses a lot of very picturesque language. It's a vision, it's a dream, if you will. And uh, there's a lot of fantastical things happening. And there's symbol the symbology, the apocalyptic symbology here is just flying all over the place. And I don't claim to have a handle on what all of that means. But now that I've discovered what Revelation's message to me is, now I have a lens through which I can read the rest of it and find application to me. Um... So let's get started. Chapter 17. Wow, I can't believe we're there already. All right, here we go. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the punishment of the great prostitute who sits by many waters. With her, the kings of the earth committed adultery, and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. Then the angel carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet and was glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. She held a golden cup in her hand filled with abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. The name written on her forehead was a mystery. Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes, and of the abominations of the earth. I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of God's holy people, the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. And when I saw her, I was greatly astonished. And the angel said to me, why are you astonished? I will explain to you the mystery of the woman and the beast she rides, which has a seven heads and 10 horns. The beast, which you saw, once was, now is not, and yet will come up out of the abyss and go to its destruction. The inhabitants of the earth, whose names have not been written in the book of life from the creation of the world, will be astonished when they see the beast, because it once was, now is not, and yet will come. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven hills on which the woman sits. They are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, the other has not yet come. But when he does come, he must remain for only a little while. The beast who once was and now is not is an eighth king. He belongs to the seven 
and is going to his destruction. The ten horns you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but for who but who for one hour will receive authority as kings along with the beast. They have one purpose and will give their power and authority to the beast. They will wage war against the lamb, but the lamb will triumph over them because he is Lord of lords and king of kings, and with him will be his called, chosen, and faithful followers. Then the angel said to me, the waters you saw where the prostitute sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, languages. The beast and the ten horns you saw will hate the prostitute. They will bring her to ruin and leave her naked. They will eat her flesh and burn her with fire, for God has put it into their hearts to accomplish his purpose by agreeing to hand over to the beast their royal authority until God's words are fulfilled. The woman you saw is the great city that rules over the kings of the earth. Okay, first of all, through the lens of the first century church that he's writing this to, the seven churches of Asia Minor, um, it's no mystery that this is probably, the great city he's talking about is, is probably Rome. And he's telling, and Rome is being identified as the, the, uh, uh, the great Babylon. So let's, without getting tied up into the minutia of what crowns, heads, horns, and all that stuff mean, Let's take a look at what's going on here. First of all, John is shown, apparently, a beautiful woman. And she's dressed in purple and scarlet, glittering with gold, stones, and pearls. She's drinking out of a golden cup. This woman is gorgeous, tempting, alluring, um, she's called a prostitute, the mother of prostitutes, as a matter of fact. Now, the purpose of a prostitute is to offer the promise of something and never deliver. What is a prostitute offering? A prostitute is offering her clients a brief moment in time where they can feel uh, intimacy, something that they think is love, where they can, for a short amount of time, be with someone who finds them attractive, or at least says they do. But it's false. It's temporary. It's not real intimacy. And a dalliance with a prostitute can bring great destruction as a result. I, I can't tell you how many times I have known Christian brothers whose lives have absolutely been destroyed because they gave in to the seduction of a prostitute. And prostitutes are skilled in the art of seduction. How else can you account for the fact that a man who, who claims to love God Um, false prey to the seductions of, of a prostitute is because they're good at what they do. And they're also preying on an area of weakness in that believer. You see, just because we're Christians doesn't mean we're um, immune 
to seduction, to temptation. And John is seeing the mother of all prostitutes. He's seeing in this vision, the great seductress. In fact, later on, we see when John Caesar says he's astonished. And this is like, I can't believe how beautiful she is. I can't believe how attractive she is. I can't, you can even see John. I won't say John was falling under the, the thrall of a prostitute. But it's amazing when he sees her in all her glory, how he is astonished. And there's a, in that word, there's a hint of admiration. You know, uh, this picture of Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and of the abominations of the earth, this is a picture of, again, the world's culture, the world system, the thing that is so attractive. And how does, how does temptation work? All right, temptation only works if it's something you want, right? I am not tempted by broccoli. Broccoli holds no power of temptation over me. I can walk past a mountain of broccoli and not be tempted to eat any of it. Um, but there, there in my time, in my past, there were areas in which I was tempted because it was something really that I kind of wanted. I used to smoke cigarettes. Uh, I was a two and a half pack a day smoker when I was a younger man. Um, I couldn't not have a cigarette. I had to have one. Cigarettes were tempting. And when I made the move to quit and move away from cigarettes, it was one of the hardest things I ever had to do. If I was in a room with someone who was smoking, I would be overwhelmed with the desire to have a cigarette because it was something I wanted. That's how temptation works. The culture of the world holds temptation and it's different temptations for different believers. But another example comes to mind. When I was a younger man, a young married man, I became involved in a multi-level uh, marketing organization called Amway, a good organization, all right? And multi-level marketing is a valid business model when it's treated as a business. And I actually made a little money with it. I, it to me, it, it was the organization that got me introduced to, introduced to un, being an entrepreneur. I would rather be in business for myself than anything else in the whole world. I would rather work for myself. And that's in fact what I'm doing now. And what I've done for the past 30 years almost. Um, but I quickly saw, and for this, this is the reason I left Amway. Not because Amway itself was bad. It was a great organization. It, it taught you to sell. It was a sales organization. It was a precursor to Amazon in many ways and precursor to online uh, sales in many ways. Um, but I quickly left it because I saw that there was a culture within Amway where the pursuit of wealth became everything. 
the pursuit of becoming rich became everything to the point that many people were being encouraged to sell starter kits rather than selling the products that would make people's lives better. And it became more about recruiting new people underneath you and making a living off of their efforts rather than putting in your own efforts to make your own money. It, you know, it became very screwy. And I quickly saw that as a Christian, I could not buy into that. And yet many people were touting it as a Christian organization. Organizations aren't Christian. They might have Christians, but organizations aren't Christian. They're just organizations. But I could see that the, and I saw it happen time and time and time again, where Christians would get sucked into this thing about making money. And if you made enough money, you could influence more people. You could help your church more. You could put more missionaries into the field. they, They pursued that line of reasoning to get Christians involved. And that that's the great prostitute. That's the world's culture. So here he sees the great prostitute. This is the world system that allures people in. Now, I have some notes here. I wrote red and green and I think in blue. Babylon, the prostitute, appears representing the seductions of the world. That's what it is. Babylon is probably a symbol for the city of Rome. Yeah, because it's built in seven hills with all of its immorality. Paganism made each of the cities of Asia Minor into a small manifestation of this Babylon, the seven kings, right? Full economic and social participation involved attendance at pagan religious feasts and celebrations. Worship of the emperor was an expected expected expression of political allegiance. Pagans called Christians atheists because they did not worship the many gods and called them haters of humankind because they withdrew from compromised forms of social life. In reaction to this pressure, some professing Christians argued that participation in idolatrous feasts and sexual immorality were acceptable. The woman Jezebel in chapter two two of Revelation was a key seducer whose work is generalized and more deeply symbolized in Babylon the prostitute. In other words, some Christians were convinced that it's no big deal. Offer a stick of incense to the emperor and then go worship Yeshua. What's the harm? It's just a statue. And in Revelations 2, this is what he, remember, this is what the John said to one of the churches. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I've given her time to repent of her immorality, but she's unwilling. So I will cast her in a bed of suffering and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of their ways. Apparently there was a self-named prophetess named Jezebel that he's calling Jezebel. Now, whether that was her name or not, she is a Jezebel. And she was convincing people that it's okay to visit with the temple prostitute. It's okay to burn incense to the emperor. Just do it and get the weight of the government off your back. And then you can worship Yeshua however you want. But we can see what God thinks about that. And here's where John says, and when I saw this Babylon, when I saw this 
great prostitute. I was greatly astonished. And there's, again, a sense of admiration here. The angel said, says, why are you astonished? I'm going to explain something to you. I'm going to explain the mystery to you. He talks about seven heads, seven kings. Um, and it comes down here that uh, he's talking about her. Let me get to her yet. Um, the waters you saw where the prostitute sits are people, multitudes, nations, and languages. The beast and the ten horns you saw, horns you saw will hate the prostitute. All right, the very system that the prostitute is uh, marketing, if you will, turns on her. And this is a picture of a prostitute offering love and intimacy to a client. Then after the client gets what they pay for, prostitute just moves on. There's no intimacy. There's no lasting love. There's no caring. There's no um, relationship. She shuts it down and moves on. And the person who has just spent that time with the prostitute is left empty with no lasting results. The very thing that you chase turns on you. The very thing that you chase wants you to pay the price of turning away from your God. This great prostitute who was working hand in hand with the beast and uh, the, the world system, if you will, that world system turns on her and destroys her. They're going to bring her to ruin and leave her naked. See, when you align yourself with the world system, when you align yourself with the world's ways of doing things, in the beginning, it might seem like no big deal. Right, for me, smoking, smoking a cigarette. So what, what if I smoked a cigar in celebration or a cigarette in celebration? What if I just did that on occasion? Well, for me, the minute I give in to that temptation to smoke that cigarette, it's going to awaken me desires to have another one. Because, see, the one thing about addiction is once you become an addict of something, you're going to be an addict of that something for the rest of your life. Now, whether or not you participate in that thing, that's on you. But that thing will always hold a place of danger in your life. And for you to even visit that thing is to invite the disaster that that thing brings into your life. Alcoholism. I have friends of mine who are alcoholics. Now, they haven't had a drink for years. But they know that the minute they have one, it's going to be a quick and dirty slide back into the horrors of that addiction. I have uh, a friend of mine, a young lady, who was a heroin addict. Um, and to look at her now, you just see she's the most beautiful, happy, young married woman, professional she has, you look at her, she's got her life all together. 
She's an amazing lady. And yet she'd be the first to tell you that if she were to ever revisit heroin, even once, it would be her total and complete destruction. That's the problem with the great prostitute. That's the world's culture. That's the world system that lures you in, promises of wealth, promises of popularity, promises of fame, promises of security and intimacy. And then that very thing will destroy you. And the picture here in this chapter is that, you know, the, the first century church would think of this as Rome and Rome does fit the description. They, um, Rome turns on itself and Rome makes alliances with kingdoms that it can't conquer. Rome, Rome expanded as far as it could expand and it couldn't go any further. So it made alliances with the Germanic tribes, which eventually turned on Rome and destroyed it. See, the world system is a very self-destructive thing. Rome gave the appearance of glory, wealth, prosperity, and yet it crumbled in on itself. It destroyed itself. Aligning yourself with that system invites destruction. Christians, this is the war we're in. The world system wants us to live its way. Oh, you can worship Jesus, but just do this. And then forget about, yeah, just go worship Jesus, do what you want, just do this. We live in a world that preaches tolerance until you don't like what it says. And then it's very intolerant. We live in a world that wants Christians to do things its way. How many, think of, Think of all the Christian organizations you know, denominations included, and think of all the sexual sin scandals, whatever, that have rocked those organizations this last decade. Think of the names that you know, and I'm not going to mention any, of people that we would have called great Christian leaders who have been brought down by sexual scandal. Think of great organizations powerful, influential Christian organizations that are rocked by uh, the cancer of corruption. You know, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Uh, I'm thinking of a denomination right now who is absolutely rife with accusation that that it does not protect the women in in its congregations. And you, you look at it and you're thinking to yourself, how, how could that possibly be? You're Christians. Yeah, see? That's somebody who's, that's an organization who's adopted the world's way of doing business. I can't tell you how many times I've heard, been at church business meetings, where I've heard, heard someone say, if the people, if we would run this church like a business, we wouldn't have all these problems. That would be the problem. For us individual Christians, wrapping ourselves around the world system 
falling prey to the lies that the world offers us. Uh, financial security, intimacy, adopting the world's attitudes towards marriage, uh, towards raising children, adopting the world's attitudes towards running our businesses. That's dancing with the great prostitute. Now, um, there's a couple other notes here I want to follow up on. Uh, down here where it talks about the 10 horns and 10 kings, describing the kingdom a little bit more. The number 10 uh, is pretty significant. The beast of Revelation is a combination of the characteristics of all four of Daniel's beasts. There's a lot of symbology drawn from the book of Daniel. In Revelation, the 10 horns are kingly confederates of the beast. The political powers beyond the borders of the Roman Empire are most directly in mind here. Rome was eventually overrun by barbarian tribes. But the picture rises beyond the limitations of Rome and opens up a picture of the final battle in which the beast will enlist large-scale assistance. In other words, Rome reached a point where it couldn't go any further. And so it actually hired mercenary Germanic tribes to represent Rome on far-flung battlefields. It made alliances with these kings. So the first century uh, believer would see a lot of this reflected in Rome. Um, and it says they, they have one purpose. All these other nations have one purpose. They're going to give their power and authority to the beast. In other words, a mercenary army acts at the behest of its employer. Okay, so this could be that. But in the spiritual war that we're talking about, it says here, their purpose is one purpose. They will wage war against the lamb, against Jesus. But the lamb will triumph over them because he's Lord of Lords and King of Kings. It's amazing to me that the world seems to have the greatest problem with the three monotheistic faiths on this planet, that being Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. Um, because each of these three faiths do not allow for the worship of other gods. There's only one God. And the world has a problem with these three monotheistic faiths because they don't fit into the world system. Folks, the book of Revelation, John's Revelation, is all about the war against us, God's people. It's, it's an ugly, ugly business. And it's like the world system is attractive. This great prostitute is attractive. She is beautiful. She's powerful. Her, her seductive powers are legendary. The world would have its way with us. The world will offer what it calls security. And that would be wealth, property, popularity, fame, fortune. But what the world doesn't tell you is that someday you're going to dance with death. And then what happens with all that wealth 
and prosperity and security that the world offered because it cannot offer you anything beyond the veil of death's curtain. But yet it would make you think it could. I have friends of mine who don't believe in life after this life. And so for them, the world system is all there is. And it seems, they seem to be so powerful and strong now. But what's going to happen when they get old and frail and feeble? What's going to happen when they face the actual onset of death? Me, if I were to die this very moment, guess I'm not. If I were to die this very moment, I am not afraid. Because the wealth I have is found in my relationship with the God of this universe. I am known by God. And when I die, I will be ushered immediately into the presence of the Lord that I have longed to meet since I became a believer. I'm not afraid. But my, for some of my friends who don't have that assurance, death holds great fear. And that is the result of the seduction of this great seductress, the world system. They're offering you everything, but in the end, there's nothing. So, remember folks, message of revelation, we are at war. Well, that makes it for today. Tomorrow, Saturday, uh, I will not have a wrap-up Saturday. Um, we are still wrestling with the uh, effects of COVID in this house, so I'm just taking it as easy as I can. Starting Monday, we'll be back at Revelation chapter 18. We're getting close to the end of this fabulous book. And I'm getting close to telling you what we're going to be doing for this entire next year for devotions. It's going to be exciting. I'm looking forward to it. So there you are, folks. Here's my coffee. I'm Paige. And I am out of here. Bye-bye. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. Neither should my thoughts be your thoughts. You need to think for yourself.